0: To determine who is more worthy of my fanatical devotion, I shall pit you against each other in armed combat. To the death! Where'd you get an idiotic idea like that? Episodes 19, 46, 56, and 77. Great list. Except you forgot episode 66. (laughs) I was getting to that one! You read history. What did you say your name was? Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the USS Enterprise. Which one of you is the captain? We violate the treaty, Captain. Red alert! All hands, battle stations! This is Captain Kirk. Incorrect. Can we just get down to it, please? Prepare to attack. All hands, battle stations.
1: And now, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell Hello and welcome back to Star Trek Monthly Monday This is the old school, original Star Trek Kirk style edition And this is the 38th episode I'm Chris Honeywell and I'm here with Scott Gardner Spit it out there son, spit it out, spit it out
2: Yes, 38th episode. <laughs> yes. Day. This is what happens when we get started <laughs> recording at 2.30 in the morning. Not finishing up, Yeah, this is started. nothing. When I started with Andrew Leyland at
1: 4.44 a.m. Man. on that, that one podcast. Man,
2: that's crazy. And that's that was crazy. because
1: I was gap... Yeah, it's because we met up at 4 and I was like, blah, 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 blah for 45 minutes before we even got started, so... It late nights. They can't defeat me.
2: They're no, defeating no, no, no. me here lately. I'll tell you what. My uh, my current. Uh, the agony of defeat. <laughs> it's uh, it's kicking my ass. I got to be honest with you. But I am very excited, and hopefully I can wake up and, and bring my <laughs> enthusiasm to this episode because I'm very excited. About everything that we're doing this Star Trek Monthly Monday, both uh, both editions, because uh, we got some good stuff to talk about, and we have some really cool connections. Um, you know, it, it, somehow a while ago we kind of abandoned that thing we were doing for a while of trying to find the the parallels and the stories that we were discussing. This one uh-huh. you don't have to look very far. There's actually some really cool parallels in the stuff that we're going to be discussing um both the the episodes and the comics and the two different series this time. So uh I will I will definitely be pointing those out as they creep up. But uh So anyway, do we want to just dive right into this? Do we have any uh any Star Trek news or anything to I have some I have some Star Trek
1: news, but I will it's just a little piece of news As I just got in the mail, the metaphysics of star Wars or star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, I just started reading I it. You I it. Love- so, you know, it's, it, it's about stuff like, is data really alive? What happens to your soul through oh, the transporter? You know that? No, he's not. He's a it's, it's,
2: robot. No, he's not alive.
1: It's, it's it's written by a, a a philosophy teacher and it's very dry so far which is okay with me because I just like the concepts of it, it but it's it's not very um you know it's not it's it's a pretty um pretty dry and straight up philosophy you know he he uses he doesn't really go like well you know Descartes thought this or that but he he, he does a little but I'll give a full review once I finish it. I'm about a quarter of the way through it. I got it the other day, so. Now I know who DeSalle is. Who's Descartes?
2: Huh? Des, Des, it's Desalle. Descartes is out by the car, <laughs> and
1: it's full, full of Dope. diet Pepsi. Out by defense. <laughs> he he's a philosopher, philos philosopher, something like
2: that. He's one of those guy those. A bullshit artist. Okay. Now, I've seen that book around, so you'll have to come back and do an in depth book review at some You know, it's about I will. time you pulled your damn weight around here with the book reviews, by the way. Well, I
1: have you just done realized one something. Since we started
2: this show, have you done no. one book review? No,
1: and I'm a cra- I, I don't think. Think so? Well, we did our book show, so I talked a lot
2: about books and that, and and I'm a avid reader. But I'm not not, a literate person because you do read a lot. I mean, you're you're just as a reader as I am. So what? What the hell is the problem here? I don't read a lot of
1: Star. I I believe I have done a couple Star Trek books. I, I know I brought up the Harlan Ellison. Story for um, oh that's right. Okay. Okay. all right. I take it back.
2: You did read the Harlan. Ops there's book.
1: A, there's another one that I s- seem to remember like having gotten in the mail and and re- I think it was oh I know what it was. It was uh Shatner's movie memories. That's right. That okay. All right. And I did a all review right. of that's that. Right.
2: Okay. All right. I'll but get I'm I, off the back now.
1: I I realize that when it comes to like Star Trek and Star Wars. I'm more about the non-fiction books. I'm w- just way more interested in the non-fiction books. Like whenever I'm on eBay looking for cheap Star Wars or Star Trek books, I almost invariably you know sort by non-fiction and least expensive. <laughs> 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 but by non-fiction because that's where usually, you know, the stuff that that fascinates me the most is the the behind the scenes and making of stuff is is more um, interesting to me, I think, than like the the fiction. Although there is a lot uh, although there is are certain elements of the fiction, you know, there are books of the fiction where I'd hear the story and it's totally got me curious and that, you know, that I want to check out but for the most part, I think I'm going to try to like find more non-fiction stuff. The problem with a lot of that non-fiction stuff is it's usually beautiful coffee table books. It costs $85 or it's like weird out, you know, out of print or stuff like that. So, you know, you have to scout around to find the deals for it, which is what I did with the metaphysics of Star He's got a couple others too. So if I like this one, I might get, get, get some other ones of his. I think he's got one just on the science and technology Of you know what is feasibly possible, or you know what is just completely, you know, out of cloth fantasy and stuff like that, and that that'll be very interesting to me too. It just it reminds me of all the conversations that we get in with people about Star Trek, you know, or that you and I get into.
2: Right. So
1: so it's always good to hear what a philosophy professor has to say about it. We've never had a (laughs) philosophy professor. I mean, the closest thing we've had to that, I guess, is Bibliomike. As far as Star Trek goes, this is true. And I don't know who we, who we would call our Star Wars philosopher.
2: This is very true.
1: Todd Grady. He well, we'll give him that title until someone better comes along. Todd Grady is our official Star Wars philosopher. He's our
2: war correspondent.
1: Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and you, and yes, and they always, they always get philosophical in, in the trenches. But that's about all I got for, for Star Trek. I get, I guess, uh, more of a preview of by next month, I'll definitely have it read cause yeah, I take a shit at least once a day. So I'm always <laughs> guaranteed to do some reading on it. You know, that every was day. lovely. Thank you. Mm. I'm
2: mm-hmm. I'm actually working on a Star Trek book right now, but I, you know, with, with things as they are at the moment, um, it's probably going to take me a month of Sundays to finish this book. But, uh, uh, so far I'm, I'm, I'm digging it pretty well. I'm not quite ready to, to, to discuss it. So I, I will just mention that I am reading a star, secret. a star Trek book. Yes. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much all I got. You know, I, I gotta be honest. I'm just kind of chomping at the bit to get into this. Cause, uh,
0: <laughs> this <laughs> yes, one, I've a got one. a
2: mile of lists for or, yeah, a mile of notes rather for this one. So, uh, what do you say? you ready to just kind of dive into this one certainly all right <laughs> all right so the uh Indeed. The, the main feature for this uh this episode we are going to be discussing the classic star trek episode the squire of gothos uh this
0: but was you
1: can't even say it without no laughing. i can't
0: <laughs> captain's log stardate 2126.1. we are weaponless and powerless unwilling guests of the creature who calls himself trelane I must say they make a perfectly exquisite display pair I object to you I object to intellect without discipline mr Spock,
1: you do have one saving grace after
2: all you're ill-mannered <coughs>
0: Until you are dead. I want you to leave my crewmen alone, but I want you to leave my crew women alone too. Are you ready? That's the one challenged. I claim the first shot.
2: This this one just I I can't wait to get into this. This was first broadcast on uh, january 12th 1967 and uh, according to the ever reliable wikipedia it says it was repeated in june uh, june 22nd of 67 so six months later they played it again according to this and uh you know both the the synopses that uh, i i'm looking at for this they both kind of suck because the uh well, it's not really a synopsis. It's an overview. The one on Wikipedia just simply says, a powerful being torments the crew of the Enterprise. Yeah, that could that could be the description for like that could be half almost, of the episodes of all yes. like six series or however many there have been. All right, yes. so the one in the Star Trek compendium, not a heck of a lot better, but here's how it goes. In Space Quadrant 904, eight days from Colony Beta 6. Now, see, they waste an entire sentence or half a sentence with this crap that doesn't mean anything and then they skimp on the entire rest of the synopsis says the Enterprise is trapped in orbit around an uncharted planet there Kirk and company are confronted by Trelane an illogical but extremely powerful alien although he appears to be an adult humanoid Trelane is eventually revealed to be a child belonging to an unknown alien race Trelane's parents rescue kirk and the enterprise from their playful son it's factually accurate it's just one really kind of boring synopsis it doesn't do at least they give Trelane's name in this one well, this is true <laughs> at the very least it's uh you know yeah it's factually accurate it's, dry, it's just kind yeah. of dry and doesn't really it doesn't fill in the uh the the flamboyance of this episode. There's a color in this one. Not yes, this at, is a very colorful episode. Yes, it is. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you run first on this one because as I say, I have just a scat of notes on this one. So, uh, what do you think of uh, of the Squire of Gothos? Well, everybody. <laughs> Let the Liberace jokes begin.
1: (laughs) That's my brother, George.
2: Now, I was waiting for you to say that because there's there's one thing I think this episode desperately needed, and that was George. And I think George should have been played by um, uh, Jack Klugman. Because the oh, other comparison hello, in this episode is that not only does Trelane remind me of Space Liberace, but he I've until I actually bought the, the videotapes for Star Trek when they started to come out back in what was at the 90s. I always right. thought he was played by Tony Randall from The Odd Couple. <laughs> He's got a little Tony
1: Curtis in him too. He's like yes, Liberace, yes. Tony Randall and Tony, Tony Curtis, Curtis. Yes, you're right. All mixed up into one yes, into is. one character actor. Mhm. Yeah, and uh now and you know his I think this might be a little scandalous. But I think a lot of the reason that you know it, his flamboyance would come off as being just rakish and playful and not effeminate if he did not sit down to the goddamn piano but once he sits down to the piano harpsichord but you know once he sits down and starts playing and talking at the same time and (laughs) working his eyebrows you just can't you you know it's it's obvious that they were trying to draw that parallel you know there's a candelabra you know, it's just, it's, it's, they, they, they put it there. It didn't, it, it, it didn't have to be that way. They, it, it, Trelane could have been just a, you know, just sort of, uh, you know, a, a, ri- you know, rich dandy fop sort of character, but they push it into the Liberace character, which is, which is great, which actually is funny because I wonder how, like, a, you know, a teenager today or somebody who really doesn't know much about Liberace or even know of Liberace's existence, if that would just be gone from the whole – if they if they would be like, you know, oh, I wonder if Trelane's a little light in his loafers, you know. <laughs> the, 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 you know, because I think that's – and at that point, like, in that in those days – I'm naive about how many people actually thought like that you know, Liberace is being gay or if it was just something that everybody was like, Ah, we don't talk about it even though it's obvious or if it was just like, No, he just hasn't found the right woman yet, you know, or or whatever. Yeah, well, but, speaking, you know, it's obviously just being lampooned myself, in, I mean, in Star Trek. Yeah. But I this mean, was yeah, but you and me that
2: self. Yeah, I never thought so. I mean, because characters like him and um, Charles Nelson Riley on uh, Match Game. I oh, mean, and you watch God it now Rip and it's Taylor. Like, oh God. You know, but you know, back then. They're, you, you, well, they're they were making just...
1: overt jokes and stuff about right, it then, yeah. but we didn't get it. But you and I were in, in C- Carthage, where if there anybody. There wasn't anybody being out. If there was somebody being outrageously gay, they were doing it behind closed doors with nobody looking in Carthage, because it would be right. dangerous. So we didn't know what was up. We didn't know what was up with that. So you know, that was something I never picked. Up. You know, we just picked up that he was a goofy, over the top s- Star Trek character. But then when you add Liberace to it, we all knew. Like we came like after Liberace's heyday. But we knew Liberace was kind of a funny character to make fun of because Bugs Bunny had done the same thing. That's how I first right. heard of Liberace was Bugs Bunny doing his lampoon putting yeah. him, and uh, so this added a Bugs Bunny element of Star Trek to me. So I instantly knew, oh, they're making fun of Liberace, and and this, and I loved it then, and I love it now. You know, I I I love his character. I love how they slowly reveal. You know how how you know that he's a child. At first, you think ah, he's just ignorant. He's been looking through his telescope, and and they and you know he doesn't know the specifics of Earth life, And then you think, then you figure out, you know, eventually, oh, he's seen it all through a child's eyes. But uh, yeah. oh, where do I start on my notes? I guess I'll start <laughs> at the beginning. I love it. I love it at the beginning. It must, uh, you know. I never think of this, but I think it was morning on the bridge. I think everybody got up because they're all drinking coffee. They're all getting their coffee. Kirk does his requisite look at the um, yeoman's butt as she gives him his coffee and walks away. <laughs> he just has to. And um, and then of course everybody disappears. And and this is what I was thinking, man. And you know how there's lightning and stuff like that. Well, in space, a lot of things just must make the sound because every time (laughs) someone disappears or somebody makes something happen in, in Star Trek, that sound happens. So that must have to do with something with matter transmission beyond that's different from a transporter. Um, when they first beamed down, I love that they have the salt vampire stuffed in in the corner, you know, in its mm-hmm. in its display case. And the first thing I thought when they had Sulu and Kirk frozen there is they look like they were, like, in a club doing the robot. And, um, <laughs> and I'm looking at this, and I'm seeing them in their action figure pose, and I'm seeing the salt vampire, and I'm like, yeah, this guy is a teenage collector nerd. He's got all his action figures out, and and he's going to play with them now. Um, my f- <laughs> Beyond the Trelane stuff, my favorite thing is when Kirk finally gets back on the bridge, and he, like, whips onto the bridge, and there's a guy sitting in his chair. That guy gets out of his chair like he's going to get his ass kicked. <laughs> he just fucking <laughs> flies out of that chair when Kirk gets on the bridge. He, like he wasn't supposed to – like he was just resting there or something and just, like – Oh shit, Captain on the bridge, look busy. Um, <laughs> what, what, what uh, just what, what? What can I say? I I enjoy this episode every time I see. It. I haven't seen it in a long time, so you know I was pumped up. I I had to. I I always like to wait till the last minute so it's more fresh. So I watched it a couple days ago, but I mean I wanted to watch this one from the second we picked it, and uh, it. It could have fallen I'm trying to think of the, the name of the the episode with um with the with the giant cat the Halloween oh, type episode. Cat's paw Cat's paw. day Um It could have fallen into that territory very easily. There's a lot mm-hmm. of similarities between Cats. The and same of course castle. Cat Paw came after. Yeah, the same castle. Just the same a lot of the same sort of t- situations of them being, you know, um, toyed with, and a central power source that had to be dealt with in order to, uh, in, you know, in order to um, foil the person, and uh, the 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 swordplay in this one is hilarious. I I I don't. Tree Lane is like a master tree killer. 'Cause that's all he seems to do is run around and like hack branches off of trees as he chases Kirk around. And I love how and and I was starting to play a game of trying to see like which branches were probably scored, you know, or made to just like fall apart when he when he'd when he'd whack 'em with his like he was using like a machete. But um Of course as a kid that scared the shit out of me. That was uh well,
0: I was high, thinking high watching drama. those
2: those scenes with the sword there that, uh, I was wondering what that thing was actually made of. Cause the, the scenes were like Shatner was holding that branch over his head as mm-hmm. Trelaine swinging that sword. What if that, what if that was the moment where the sword went through that branch? Yeah. You know, I mean, would that, you know, would that leave a mark if it had hit Shatner in the it head sliced or slice through his uniform
1: sm- and given him a gash? And then he yeah. would put his hand to the gash and to his lips, tasted the blood, and then kicked his ass. <laughs> <laughs> it, it really looked like a real sword. That looked like a sharp yeah, sword. I mean, they were using the there were real pieces of wood, and it was sticking sticking in them. And so I I think it was a real sword, and uh, that's why I think he was doing a lot of just broad, you know, whipping it around and and chopping trees <laughs> rather than a lot of you know, real sword play between him and Shatner. Although there's a, a fair share of that. And of course, Shatner does a bit of uh, swing kicking in this one too, <laughs> which is always greatly amusing to me. As a matter of fact, this was this one was almost as good as the Indian pole dance swing kick that he did in the Monti episode.
2: <laughs> he also does a forward somersault, which I got a kick out of.
1: <laughs> always, always. No shoulder rolls that I no I shoulder remember.
2: roll. No, it was an actual somersault this time.
1: But um, <laughs> they you know they 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 do a good job with a limited amount of sets. You know they have to really pour on the dry ice in this one to to cover up the studio floor. You know for the the whole chasing. <laughs> but you know I was watching it and I'm like, yeah, they, you know they did a really good job. Of just like using the same piece of studio probably and then rearranging the trees, and having Shatner run through it, they 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 did a pretty decent job of making it. You know, it's funny because when you think Next Generation has, you know, all the advances of Next Generation, they still did the same thing. They still had people running oh, yeah. running through sets with dry ice on the bottom of them too. So, um, you know, that's that's a part of star trek i've come to know and love but um (laughs) i i wish you were a futurama watcher because this episode is so directly parodied and and probably the greatest episode of futurama because it's got the voices of shatner nimoy i don't think deforest kelly was alive when they did it but i think sulu and uhura and chekov are all in it and basically, you know, in, in Futurama, there's no celebrity that's dead. They're all, bra- they're all heads in jars. So there's like a celebrity head museum. So whenever they get a celebrity guest, you know, they can just get it out of the celebrity head museum or, or whatever. But um, this alien brain, of course, takes all the Star Trek celebrity heads and gives them bodies again on a planet and basically is Trillane. You know, basically has them act out, you know, his favorite episodes of Star Trek for him. And when Kirk gets a body again, (laughs) he's fighting with one of the main female characters in Futurama. And, of course, within like 10 seconds, they're making out on the ground. (laughs) So it's it's classic, but there's a lot of direct direct just, you know, stuff grabbed from from this episode. I uh, this this episode makes me want to go back and watch that. I want to go back and watch this episode again. <laughs> <laughs> and I notice when when Trelane puts the food and the booze out, McCoy's the first one digging in. <laughs> McCoy's got like food and wine <clears> in his <throat> hand, and he's just walking. This tastes like shit, Jim. Jim, this shit tastes like <laughs> shit. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: Hey, you're right too, because he does. He's he's the first one at the table, and then he comes over and he's he's bitching about there's no taste to anything. Could have been laced with (laughs) drugs or poison, or you know who
1: knows what poison. The poison you just ate, dear doctor. (laughs) But he doesn't, and he's a doctor. He's usually the one who would be like, Jim, put that down. You don't know what's in that. And he was just like wine. (laughs) I hope this guy gets his wine right at least. But um, I like it. It's 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 that classic. It's it's got that that science fiction short story feel about it that I like so much about about Star Trek in general. You know, mm-hmm. just just an idea. What if they meet a a being that's that's an all power, that's an omnipotent god sort of being, but then you find out he's just a kid, and he's just being a jerk. And, right. Uh, you know. Just a simple punchline and and they deliver it perfectly. You know, they, they, they spread out the figuring out what's going on. Even even now where it's it's you know, that, that gag is so old that you know from the very beginning what's going on, it's still entertaining watching them figure it out. And this has lots of just nice touches like when they're on the bridge and and greetings and salutations comes or I don't think it's salutations, but it's you know, comes Felicitations. up on the salutations. Felicitations comes up in you know uh, calligraphy, old English script up on the on the view screen. That stuff's great. And uh, yeah, that's about it for my notes. for For this, I'm sure I'm gonna find things to comment on. Uh, oh yes, on I, I know you though. will because I,
2: there's so much stuff I that I know uh, you will. I'm surprised you, that you haven't brought up. You, um, will. first big note for me has got to be the fact of, we all hated this episode when, when we were, cause I mean, you know, me and Randy and, and my uncles, I remember when, you know, cause you never knew back, back when we were yes. watching this in the earliest you It's never like the end of the podcast. It <laughs> yeah, it, it was, it was completely at random. And the, I don't even think they played all of the episodes on the channels that we would watch Star So it was just a crapshoot; you never knew what it was going to be. And this one was was pretty quick, where you'd know which episode it was. And I can just remember the 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 sheer just you know crushed horror we would have when we would be watching it and go, "Oh God, it's that one with Trelane again." Ah. You know and we just didn't <laughs> like this one you know and i think a lot of it was because of space Liberace. you know it was just <laughs> oh this is a one where he fights the you know the panty waist guy you know but you know once again you know star trek proves that you know that it has that strength where there can be episodes like this that you know when you're a kid you just couldn't see anything in it and then you know you get older and you see it from a completely different perspective and I really like this one. I like this one a whole lot. It actually is a, a really uh in, engaging episode in, in yeah. on, on a lot of different levels. Um, I had kind of a horrified moment in this that that turned to <laughs> going, "Hey, wait a minute, you know what? I actually like that idea. my, my at first the the it was right at the beginning of the episode where the uh, yeoman is handing out what i presume was coffee space and everybody's coffee. just setting yeah, space coffee and she's handing these out there's no lids on them and everybody's just got them just propped all willy-nilly all over their <laughs> consoles and stuff and i'm thinking now if i've learned anything or if had anything drilled right. into me in place it's that computers and drinks don't mix you, you don't put these together and so at first I was like that, that anal retentive button was being hit where I'm just going, no, 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 don't, don't, don't do that, you know? And then I, all of a sudden I realized, hey, wait a minute. This truly is an enlightened future where the boss isn't bitching and riding your ass because you're setting your coffee next to the computer. They apparently no, they've like, gotten hang up, you know?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> and he's he's yeah, coffee for everybody. Cause the, the worst one you know, the one that I was looking at just waiting for the cup to tip over was a hers station because hers is at that real steep slant. And she's got the cup there through almost the whole episode. As a matter of fact, there was even a continuity uh, glitch that I caught where in one shot, as somebody's walking past her on the bridge, the cup is there. And then they had a close up shot and the cup's gone or maybe it was the other way around but anyway there was one scene it's it's later in the episode it's it's not that first opening scene it's much right. later where the cup is there in one shot and then gone in the next so they probably filmed it you know part of it at the same time that they did the the opener part of the show and then the two didn't match up later on but you look at the angle of where she's got that cup set and it's like it's set at the top of her console so if it spills it's going to run into everything I uh, <laughs> have. Yeah. You know, just short the whole thing out, you would think, you know, based on our technology. But I like that, that. Apparently, they've gotten over that. But I do have to wonder, now, what are they going to do with all the cops? Because I've never seen a wastebasket on the Enterprise, you know, on, on the bridge.
1: They probably so just wh- have a bin that they throw it in, and it, and it turns it into energy to reuse.
2: and uh, And then probably they probably turn it into more coffee. See, I still wonder: Do they have that technology in this Star Trek? Because I've never figured that out.
1: Well, they they do. Just sort of. I mean, even you know when they go when I I don't remember what season it was when they finally do you you know show. Is it was it what the one with Khan where they're like, "Look, you can go and just say you know you know sorry and brandy and." poutine with a side of gummy bears and, vroom, you see, I- and it would open it up and it would be there that's not some fast microwave oven or something that's right. and I think there's some part where they said you know they do some diddly diddly squat thing where they say something like well it's like the the, the you know the transporter and all that
2: so I I would think so you know yeah, I've never. If anybody listening knows that for sure, one way or the other, please write in and let us know because I've always wondered about that. Because it,
1: it they it just dump like,
2: it out the back of the ship. <laughs> well, you know, much like the the holodeck and and next gen, it seems incredibly inconsistent. Are they eating real food, or are they eating? You know, do they have actual replicators, and just they're just not calling them that yet? Because it seems like. Like you say, you know, it, it's it, like in some episodes, like I, I remember when the when Kyle orders the chicken soup for the cop or, you know, for the security guard in Tomorrow is Yesterday. Mm-hmm. It seems like that happens much too fast for that to be anything other than replicated, you know, just, that, that yeah, he couldn't just possibly be calling there. down to the galley that fast. But then later, like in Star Trek six, we see that there's actually a galley where food is being prepared. So. What happened there? You know, it just seems inconsistent to me. So I I, I just want to know one way or the other, because I, I lay awake at night thinking about these Scott things. Scott Gardner wants to know. <laughs> um, And I know that this is an early episode, so this definitely explains the inconsistency. But I just found the part where they're talking about a desert and then Spock pipes up about, you know, saying something about uh, deserts. Just seems very odd, seeing as how the planet he comes from is basically tattooing. You know, it just seemed very <laughs> yes. strange. Yeah, um, Spock is once again doing that goofy line deli- like he's screaming on the bridge, "Full reverse power!" And it just yes. was like talking very loud. Yeah what what are you screaming about? And what the hell does "full reverse power" mean anyway? <laughs> he says several lines in this episode. That, you know, the more I'm watching Star Trek again, I'm actually finding that Spock doesn't impress me the way he did when I was a kid. Because now I'm smart enough that I can listen to some of the lines and go, you know, that's bullshit. That doesn't mean anything. (laughs) You know, like the one where he goes, I love the line in Star Trek, the motion picture where he says, uh, I believe the close orifice leads to another chamber. Yeah, no shit. Every orifice leads to somewhere. The, the Every single one of them, of it, yeah, yeah. That's pretty much what a door is, dude. It goes for. somewhere yeah. else. Yeah. Um. Moving on. I love the enhanced version of this. Did you notice the lightning flashes in the cloud cover on the planet? Yes. Yes. That was cool. That was really cool. See, it doesn't take it doesn't take a lot to please me. You know, it just doesn't. You know, I, I bet you if Dark Knight had li- lightning flashes in the clouds, I'd probably like it better. Anyway, <laughs> no, um, we got just about everybody in this one. You got Kirk, Spock, McCoy, Uhura, Sulu, Scotty, everybody but Chekhov because he wasn't even in the cast yet. Plus, we get DeSalle. I kind of like DeSalle. I wish he'd he'd stuck around more because he seemed like he yeah. was actually kind of an interesting guy in this. Um, But they do need to decide, is it Jaeger or Jaeger? Cause Spock calls him Jaeger and everybody else calls him Jaeger. So what the, what is it? You it's know? his Vulcan accent. <laughs> I guess. Um, I love the part where he seems incredibly dismissive of Mr. Spock. And I like, I like to be able to read between the lines that, you know, as we've said before, I would imagine working for Spock, you know, being an officer under Spock would not be a pleasant assignment no. at all. And you kind of get that feeling in the part where they're on the bridge and Spock asks Jaeger, you know, how long would, would unprotected human beings last down on these weather conditions? And, <laughs> you know, Spock's the guy that, that calculates everything to the umpteenth decimal point. Yes. What is your yes. say? It says, Not very long. And he turns around in his seat and turns his back to Spock. I just love that scene because I read it very much as him just going, screw you and your precise calculations. They're not going to last long, dude. I like. I I wanted him to say uh, Scotty Lydon, like,
1: he'd be dead already. (laughs) (laughs) You'll be dead. But that is... That is true. Scott uh, Spock would have said he would have thirty-two point five two seven seconds to live, which right. d- is just patently ridiculous, because you <laughs> just can't calculate what every human being—you know—every human being right. is going to be like five point two two six, five point two two
2: seven. Right. Um. So. I love the uh, laser turkey baster that they give to DeSalle to to signal them with down on the planet. What the hell is this thing? Do we ever see this I don't know, but
1: if her, her gets too close to it, she's going to get pregnant. That's all that I hear.
2: <laughs> it is kind of cool looking, though. You get You get a good look at it at one point, but it totally looks like some weird, like, Oh, it does. It looks like a turkey baster, is what I thought. I'm very
1: surprised we haven't seen it again, because usually you see props like that over and over again. You know, or stick a handle on it and it's a phaser or something. You know, I did. But I don't remember ever seeing it anywhere else.
2: I saw. I did read something today where it it, it did appear again as a different instrument. It, it so it did make a reappearance. It just they they call it. What did they call it? The laser beacon or something like it It was supposed to be some sort of signaling device i just don't remember ever seeing this or, or hearing of it again but you know yeah, if neither. it comes up I'll, I'll comment on it um speaking of which i i looked all over the place and could not find confirmation of this but i would swear that i've read sometime in the past that the harpsichord in this episode was from the adams family it was the one that lurch played in the adams family but I I could not find confirmation of that. So again, if anybody listening knows one way or the other, definitely for sure, please uh, write in and let us know. I got a serious, uh, the empire strikes back vibe from the environmental suits that they wore down to the planet. I thought that was kind of cool.
1: Uh-huh. Uh-huh.
2: Now, uh, this, this ties in very heavily to, uh, our quote unquote theme for star Trek this month, but William Campbell, is the actor that played Trelane in this. I like this guy. I like this guy. And, and I didn't, when I was a kid, I didn't like him at all because again, I thought he was very, um, you were equating the character with the actor. Yes. Yeah. Very much so. But I, th- I th- just thought he was very eff- effeminate and foppish, but I've come to really like the guy a lot. But, uh, anyway, remember that name, William Campbell, cause it's going to come up again later on. um, why can't they do math in this episode? Now he, you know, Trelane is making all kinds of references to Napoleon and, and things like that. Yet somebody comes up with the idea that he's looking in on events from 900 years ago. Now I know they hadn't quite worked out exactly when Star Trek was taking place yet in the series, but they're not in the 27th century (laughs) Even right, without right, right. having nailed it down to the 23rd century, they still knew that they weren't that far in the future. I'm pretty sure. I, I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure that that was never Roddenberry's intention to be that far into the future. So, yeah, somebody screwed up somewhere. Um, Nice sideburns on Trelane, by the way. Those are about the fakest looking... You know, and again, this is a detail that would have escaped our eye when we were kids Mm -hmm. watching it on, you know, crappy black and white television. But uh, now in the in the nice definition that we can see it in now, you can see that the, the, the hair color doesn't even match. You can you can totally see that there's some sort of like glued on, you know, prosthetic attached to the side of his head. Yes, that
1: is that's the only, I guess, drawback from and this happened before. The enhanced edition came came out because they remastered them too. I think before they mm-hmm. enhanced them, and all the right. remaster you know remastered ones were the. I mean these are the remastered ones with just added effects. So yeah, all, all the cardboard plastic rocks look more cardboard plastic. You can see walls and. And, you know, the walls around doorways move more. You can catch the people who are moving the doors sometimes. You can catch their shadows or their arms and legs yes. a lot easier. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, maybe someday in the future they'll spend the money to digitally erase all that stuff out of there, but I hope not because I, I love that stuff. I love it when I see someone I moving too, the yeah. door and I'm just like, hey, there. <laughs> there's a guy, there's a stagehand, you know, probably with his gut hanging
2: out in a cheese sandwich in his other hand you know well i like pointing that sort of thing out because i i hope and i'm sure it'll happen eventually but i you know it'll be sad the day when it's far enough in the future that it will be forgotten that you know how people would have viewed this when it originally aired that you you didn't have that level of of detail and you could fuzz a lot of stuff up and you could you could um you know, just kind of futz a lot of stuff because you knew the resolution wasn't going to be there. Because I can right. remember, you know, when these started to come out on videotape. And videotape, let's be honest, I mean, videotape pretty much sucked. I mean, it wasn't that much better than than 60s broadcasting when you get right down to it. But even that next level, you could start to see some of the the, you know, the wire work, let's say, because I can remember mm-hmm. watching... I think it was the conscience of the king and going, dude, there's a there's a fly buzzing around in this episode and things <laughs> like that. So, yeah, you know, as we get more and more refined, yes, it's really cool. But at the same time, you know, your your suspension of disbelief either has to ramp up or you're really going to you know, you're in for a bit of a shock because, yeah, you do. As you say, you can see so much more. Yeah, they more didn't sweat of, that
1: stuff in those days. They were just like, yeah, eh, they, they didn't have show up. To.
2: Yeah, then it
1: was up. a long exactly. time. It was a long time before I was watching Star Trek in color. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. You know
1: what I mean? When I first started watching Star Trek, it was on a black and white set. So, yep, yeah, me too. Even even more, you know. And I mean, those were the days when you tuned in a channel. You had your channel tuner, and then you had another dial under it that was like the fine tune dial, or some TVs yeah. had a, like a yeah. wider dial on it, and the fine tune was to, you Contrast. know to fine tune it, and and you would but you 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 almost sometimes could never be perfectly on a channel you know tuned onto a channel so yeah you almost never had i was watching some old commercials from 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 the 80s and uh just you know the way they looked and stuff and just made me remember you know what watching t- watching tv everything you know on on most TVs everything would have a sort of glow a halo around it and stuff especially right when you watch science fiction stuff with stuff out in space so it was, had a really weird i think in you know in in the near future there'll be some retro movement of DJs and stuff who use who use videotape and stuff for for that to get that effect or use or even pro- more probably they'll use expensive computer software to take High tech digital, crisp video, and make it look like '80s crappy
2: and fuzz it up yeah. <laughs> videotape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It I wouldn't surprise me at all, because yeah, the, it it does. You know, to those of us that that grew up with that sort of thing, that as you get more and more refined and crisp and clear and everything, something something's kind of lost in that process. You know what I mean? The the a little bit of the magic that went into the making of these things is lost because then you start to see. Well,
1: it brings them more you know, into reality. They're almost yeah. a lot when when you don't think of it when it's when you're watching it then, and we're we're not thinking of it when we're watching stuff now because in the future when they have space holo vision or whatever, and people go look, they were watching it on this flat screen and it didn't even reach out and massage their face or anything like that. <laughs> and you couldn't even have sex with your computer in those days, you know? It was uh, how did they get along? But um you know, it's it's when you look backwards through media, it 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 just almost becomes and whether it's movies or TV or whatever, it almost as you go back in time it almost becomes more like paintings, you know, or something like that, you know. Something more, even the cheesiest shows or the most popular shows take on a sort of artistic feel to them because they have that look you know, they have the look of the old medium that they were filmed in, and so all of a sudden they become almost artsy or you know, or kitschy or whatever. But they, you know, even when they become kitschy, they're moving towards being art. I always find that hell- it's it's like music, you know, with people listening to vinyl and going, "But the, the sound of viol- vinyl, you know, it's it reminds me of the old days or it has just right. that more organic feel to it."
0: Yeah. I agree.
2: Art. I like the uh the exchange between Spock and Trelane down on, you know, when the, when he actually brings everybody down. And mm-hmm. he and uh, Spock have a little tense moment between them, and I like that a lot. I like you know wow. basically Spock's yeah Spock's analysis of Trelane because it's pretty spot on. But I like well that's it. what I like
1: about Spock is Spock is never shy to tell somebody that you know to basically Spock for being a, a Vulcan basically tells a lot of people "fuck you" in very right. su- su- succinct. Logical terms, but and even his good friends, he's just constantly saying stuff that translates out to "you know what, fuck you," <laughs> and and that's what he does with Trillane. He's just like, "Yeah, I got your number. You're an idiot," <laughs> and that's, that's right. I said it. And you know, and Trelane just hates him because he's not the kind of toy. He's like, he's like a Barbie doll. You know, Trelane's into playing with the GI Joes, and Spock's like a Barbie doll. He's just like, "What are you doing in my toy box?" <laughs> that's a to- that's a totally sounds like something that would happen like in a gay bar. What are you doing in my toy box? Get out of my toy box! <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ, where did Miss Thing come from? Um, I like the I'm Bob listening. Deers though.
2: <laughs> i'm listening to the part is where was a rice
1: picker accident
2: and they go on a long time about how this device must work this you know they they you know they're thinking that all this stuff that Trelane is doing is from some you know magic box that he's utilizing to to pull all this stuff out of thin air and I'm listening to this dialogue, and I suddenly realize, you know, this device that they're describing is basically uh-huh. a holodeck. You know, about yes. you know, making, you know, taking matter and creating, or, or I mean, uh, taking energy and creating matter and then turning it back to energy. You know, it, it really is, you know, the concept is, is the precursor to what would eventually become the holodeck. And I thought that was very, you know, very interesting.
1: I also, I also thought, you know, they immediately start planning on destroying it, and my first thought is, isn't that the thing that's keeping, keeping you, alive? you alive? Yeah, I know, I have to it. at the same time. Yeah, you might want to think twice about blowing everything up and being, especially Kirk, since he got his little chance to take a little whiff of the
2: the outside atmosphere. Well, I had that thought because they're all whisked off the bridge. And I could be wrong, but Mm -hmm. I think he took everybody, which also I had the thought, you know, we already know that the computer on the Enterprise is not very smart. We have seen time and time again where, you know, there's some intruder on the ship or there's a Klingon vessel off the port bow or whatever, and the friggin' computer doesn't bother to tell anybody. You know, you didn't ask. Exactly. So I don't think that the computer is smart enough to call down to, you know, engineering and say, hey, uh, by the way, there there ain't nobody up here, you know. And so I'm at what at (laughs) what point does it get to? is, Is there actually a point where. You know, the 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 ship's suddenly spiraling down toward the planet before somebody somewhere else in the ship is going to take notice and call up to the bridge and go, uh, what, are you, what are you assholes doing up there anyway? And finds that there's nobody in the store, you know?
1: I would hope they had some sort of dead man switch yeah, exactly. on there that yeah. a human had to hit every five minutes or something, you know, just to... right. Just so you know,
2: there's somebody up there or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, you would. I don't know. But, you know, given that, that. All right. You know, just for the sake of argument, say there's not. Everybody's whisked off the bridge. It's going to be a half an hour yet before anybody figures out that there's nobody minding the store. And Kirk is talking about destroying the device. That's keeping them alive. What if? What if he had been right? What if he shot that mirror and all of a sudden the castle went away and they're all choking and gagging mm-hmm. and, and dying, and there's nobody that even knows that they're down there. Yeah,
1: <laughs> just they would it, have an indeterminate amount of time to call up on their... And, and this is one of those rare episodes where they don't get their tricorder or their you know their um, communicators taken away from him because right. he just negates them being able to use them so he doesn't bother like I'll you know I'll take those from you captain you know so so when they do get it knocked you know stuff knocked out they can get on the get on the horn right away but you know I mean that you you start thinking maybe I wish Mister Spock had answered that question so we know how much time we have to call up to the Enterprise. Right. Because if we have three seconds, we don't have time to even flip open the thing and wait for the sound effect to go <laughs> before we can call up there. And if we have thirty seconds, ah, we have plenty of time. We could you know be like, hey, how are you guys? You know, first, hey, you mind if you beam us
2: up at. <coughs> Smells like a big fart down here. Yeah, but the problem is, is that that's you know that that I you know I would not stake my life on that, you know, because that would be the time that you get you know yeoman Enos. But that's how Kirk know, operates. Going, Horses so, yeah. Again, hello, this? <laughs> hello, hang on, I'll I'll see if
1: any James in the T. Head. Who? <laughs> James T. Kirk? No, he ain't here. <laughs> we don't know where he went. He disappeared with a boing sound. <laughs>
2: Exactly. <laughs> I'm Captain Kirk. Speaking of boing sounds, if there was one change I could make to this episode, and I can't believe they didn't do this when they did the remastering. I know they're trying to be faithful and not tinker too much, but I thought Kirk... you were going to talk about the, je- the, the yeoman's outfit. Oh no. I like that. No, I I got a boing. Yeah. That, I thought <laughs> she has the next one. Nice <laughs> <bike. Boy-oing. laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, when Kirk shoots the mirror, and everything in there, like the fire starts going up and down, and you've got that—what do you call it? A slide whistle. <laughs> it's a slide whistle. It's yes. Com- you yeah. Rip. Yeah. Like, well, come on. Like,
1: that's the one moment. <laughs> you know what it reminds me of? Evil Dead Two. <laughs> where all, where all the, where all the things are coming alive on the wall, and and you know. Go- huh? Thank <laughs> you. A trip to, um... Oh, you know, there, there's different chain stores of them, but I think it's Bugaboo Creek here
2: where yeah. you go and it's like, yeah. Hi, yeah. I'm Morton Moose from Bugaboo <laughs> Creek. Wee rip. <laughs> yes, that was really cheesy. I like uh Kirk's resolve in this. You know, when he's basically like, alright, I just gotta get down there and beat somebody's ass. <laughs> I, I, I just like that <laughs> moment. I think it's really cool. <laughs> um... All right, this episode does horribly date itself when Kirk starts to talk to Spock about boyhood pranks, and he says something about dipping little girls' pigtails in inkwells, and I'm thinking, dude, this is only, what, what 40 the? years? What is an inkwell? I mean, I know what it is, but I'm just that's saying out of date. That. For, that's out of date for us. Yeah, that was out of date. We didn't even have inkwells. Yeah, that was yeah, really a bad piece of dialogue in an otherwise well-written episode that was a bad piece of dialogue here's how old we were
1: when we were in elementary school i remember having desks that had holes for inkwells in them yeah
2: yeah i do remember that
1: in the right hand up in the upper right hand you'd have a little hole to put your inkwell in back in the day
2: this is true
1: so we weren't that far away but yeah that was a really out of date reference for and then he's all like oh Mr. Spock you don't get it you know and it's just like yeah well fuck you man what do you <laughs> want me to Usually though Spock is up on all of earth history
2: f- decade to decade Right <laughs> I do uh I like this episode though I like the twilight zone ending cuz that's what it feels like to me this this feels very much like a twilight The whole zone episode script. is
1: it's very much like the kid who, you know, rules that whole town with the power mm-hmm. of his mind, sort of like, yeah, it's good that Trelane is playing on the harpsichord, right? Yeah. We all like <laughs> Trelane's music. It's good.
2: <laughs> Happy birthday, Trelane. Well, it also has a strong parallel you know, in the ending with, uh, with Charlie X, you know, where the, where the glowy yes. blob of light comes to take him away at the end of it. But, uh, yeah, it's not it's not creepy, though, in that same because I always found that ending to Charlie X when I especially when I was a kid that used to freak me out, man, because it was like he was being taken away to hell or something. You know what I mean? Like he was ta- yeah. being taken away to be punished, which he's actually he did not. Want he was go. being taken away to, be, you know, to be raised and cared for by the, you know, by the glowy blob guy or whatever. But, you know, or no, it was a floaty head in that one, wasn't it? But it still—it yes. felt weird. It felt like you know, like being being taken to be, you know, something sinister was going to happen to him or something. Whereas in this one, he just kind—you know, he pulls the same kind of fade out, but you know, repeating a chant too. Which that—that's there's something creepy about that. You know, there's a, there's at least three different episodes for that same sort of thing, because the one with Apollo does the same thing. You know, he fades away and, and he's kind of repeating the same thing and over with and over.
1: Evil Space Burger King.
2: Oh, does he too? Does he say the same thing over and over as he disappears?
1: Well, he, yes, he's saying something like, you know, no children, blah, blah, blah. you know, he has all little sing songy, creepy things that he says <laughs> as he fades away. Yes. What a world. What a world.
2: Now uh what's really cool is there's strong, strong parallels between this episode and uh um damn, what's the name of it? Encounter at Far Point with Q. Cause that one yes. he's very Trelaine-esque in the beginning of that. You know, he's he's wearing an out-of-date you know military uniform you know calling back to foppish yeah c- kind of foppish yeah a little bit a
1: lo- little bit light in the love hers. they're vi- the two actors are very visually similar they both have that sort of square you know leading man face sort of thing but that sort of shiny campbell's soup kid look to him too <laughs> you
2: know what i mean right well the then ma- also the mangy
1: ball cheeks
2: when uh, when we got because I had f- totally forgotten about one scene in this episode and that's the scene where it comes in with the with the spotlight where Kirk is on trial and as soon as it cut to Trebek yes. as the judge I was suddenly like oh this is just like that scene where uh, Q judged Picard and you know basically held you know uh, humanity you know put humanity on trial. And so I, I found a lot of strong parallels. Now I know that there have been, um, I guess you would call it expanded universe or whatever. You know, th- there's been novels, and I think there was even some comic stories. With uh, I, I read with,
1: a comic story with Trelane and Q together playing
2: chess. Was that the one where he they had the the crews, They like traded, or yes. like traded captains. I, I've been meaning to read that one. I haven't read it yet, but it, it looked like it was really good. See, It was good. I don't... To me, I don't know if Trelane works beyond this story, though. You know what I mean? Because once you know who he is and what he is, does he really work again? You know what I mean? Well, I would
1: think... I always think those energy beings, like his childhood state would be like 800 years or something. So he would still be a little bratty kid... Even when Q, you know, he might be a teenager by the time he's hanging out with Q, but I always thought there might be a, you know, that, that Trillane might have been one of the Q, you Let's know, he might've been just a Q kid that was out playing in his backyard, you know, and, and, and they came down and he was torturing frogs and.
2: That was and the other thing I was his
1: ass and took him home.
2: Yeah, that was the other thing I was going to bring up is that I guess according to and I think it was one of Peter David's books, if I'm not mistaken. I haven't read it yet myself. I've heard it's a really, really good book, and I don't doubt it because I like uh, Peter David quite a bit. But I guess there's a book with Q and Trelane where it's basically revealed just that 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 he and his folks actually were part of the the Q. And that Kirk's, you know, dealings with Trelane were basically the the earliest, you know, human being. What might, might have piqued their interest something in like humans. That. See, I'm I don't like that. I gotta be honest with you. I think that's a bad idea because I, I don't I don't like and I don't understand this need to tidy everything up in Star Trek and, and everything's gotta refer back to everything else. You know, I, I Why couldn't it have just been what it is? You know, they're they're just unknown, you know, glowy blob alien guys out there and and Trelane's their kid playing, you know, playing, you know, pulling the wings off of flies. You know, people love to link that stuff up, though, you know, it just I
1: mean, I mean, and that one's just such a gimme.
2: It is. And it's probably because, you know, as I say, there are such strong parallels between this episode and and you know, the Q character that we'd later get, I guess the temptation probably was too strong to resist, but at the same rate, not sure. I like it. Cause I'm, I'm not you know, like, as I say, I'm not entirely comfortable with revisiting this character. I, I think that this is an instance where this well, episode is so much better as just a standalone and we never see him again.
1: They may have come up with Q. Um, I mean, I'm sure they were, they were totally aware of this episode when they were writing
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That that start the next generation episode, so they they might have actually been like you know maybe sometime we'll we'll link up the Q and Trulane at some point you know because they they were maybe you know maybe they were like this is how this race is you know they like to put things on trial <laughs> you know when they get they like to be impetuous brats and put you on trial and and screw with your head. And Trelane was just a kiddie version of it, you know. And right. When you got Q. You got an adult who, who did it with a little more. You know, you didn't really know what his intent was, but it was at least, it had the the appearance of being malicious, you know, or, or at least, um, at least darkly humorous, <laughs> very darkly. You know, he always put the threat of death in there, though. You know, he was always. Doing something that seemed seemed horrible, and then but then and then always the excuse of I was just testing you never seemed to be you know that never seemed to wash. Right. So it 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 would make sense they both have that same sort of sadistic edge to them. Although you got the idea from the parents that the you know the parents like apologized and were like sorry about Junior you know he's a little asshole we know it. <laughs> You know, don't worry, we're we're gonna take him home, you know. So you got the feeling that the parents were more like, you know, live and let live and less like you know, it 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 would seem like if this was the cue that the parents would have been like, you know, go to your room and then they would have been like, Ooh, humans to fuck with and then would have just started in on <laughs> on the anew you know. But yeah, you know, I don't I don't really have a problem with the with the linking of the two doesn't put any sand in my vaseline man
2: <laughs> so let's see uh i've got another page and a half to go yet with notes did you have anything else on scott? this one what the fuck yeah you've been talking about the squire of
1: Gothos for too long scott it's time to take a break and then come back and talk
2: about star trek comics uh but i don't want to take a break Scott, it's time to take a break. I don't wanna. Scott? Aw, ah, you never let me have any fun.
0: Get in the space cage, Scott. Oh, I, don't wanna. I, don't wanna. I don't wanna.
2: I don't wanna. I don't wanna. I don't
1: wanna. Two true I freaks, don't listeners. I'm sorry that you had to listen to that. We're gonna play some. some sort of shit, and we'll be back with some Star Trek comics.
2: He was a hero to some, a villain to others, and wherever he rode, people spoke his name in whispers. He had no friends, this Jonah Hex, but he did have two companions. One was death itself, the other, the acrid smell of gun smoke. Smell of gun smoke. The Jonah Hex Podcast. Available Thursdays at two true Hello, ladies. Listen to your man. Now listen to me. Now listen to your man. Now listen to me. Sadly, he isn't me, but if he stopped downloading lame ass podcasts and switched to two true freaks, he could learn to sound like me. Look down. Back up. Where are you? You're on the Enterprise with a man your man could sound like. What's in your hand? Back at me. I have it. It's a long box filled with comics that you love. Look again. The comics are now episodes. Anything is possible when your man listens to two true freaks and not lame asses. I'm on a tauntaun. Welcome back to Star Trek Monthly Monday, TOS edition number 38. And this time around, we're going to be looking at some uh, DC Comics Star Trek issues. And uh, to start us off, here's Chris Honeywell with the analysis. Hello.
1: Yes, this is DC Star Trek number 31, way back from October of 1986, which means Scott and I were out of high school by then and free and having our first halloween outside of high school which was probably pretty awesome and filled with destruction um <laughs> i have a cbr of a canadian one so we'll just get this over with mine says 75 cents on the cover i'm sure scouts might say something different
2: no mine's 75 cents as well Ooh. we are in sync Ooh.
1: in sync with canada the the <laughs> covers by zbrozowski hey. and marcos and of course, you have the the usual uh, Sutton and Villagran art. Um, Tony Isabella did the the plot for this one, and Len Wein is the actual scripter. Um, is it a uh, uh, Augustine Moss? Augustine uh, Moss, I, I guess, is the letterer. Yeah. Michelle Wolfman's the color, and Bob Greenwald is the editor. He is the editor. And this one is called Maggie's World, and uh, we join our story as Mace Magellan breaks up a fight between uh, some Klingons, humans, and the natives of the world that's named after him. Then, after the fight, he gets drunk with the barmaid, uh, who's uh, a local and uh, Klingon buddy. And uh, Mace, by the way, is Hispanic. In case you couldn't tell by his cheech like uh, speech um patterns, a character actually like asks him if he's out of his quote hairy Hispanic mind as if he was Doctor McCoy. Meanwhile, Kirk is seeing off the Andorian commander Theman as as he's retiring. Um even the um racist Bearclaw sends him his best and in, in the form of his grandfather's uh uh, identification card, because his grandfather's a great hunting, wise hunting guide, and Thymen is a enthusiast of of hunting and killing animals, so uh, they meet up with the ship, the Sturgeon, which I guess is a a, a tribute to probably sci-fi author Theodore Sturgeon, right. or the fish, I don't know, and uh, <laughs> which uh, is basically there to take uh, Thymen and switch him for the prickish Avril Stanton so that uh, Kirk can take him to Maggie's world to broker a conflict about who has the rights over the world. And it seems the Klingons and the Federation sort of discovered it at the same time. And it's sort of looking like the Klingons maybe deserve the planet more as their developmental plans are sort of further along. Um, But um, Kirk assigns Lieutenant Morales as as, uh, this guy's assistant but she soon finds that her loyalty is kind of tested when Stanton calls into question his trust of the Enterprise crew and has her sort of investigating all their pasts, you know, which she finds funny because he's there to, you know, broker this off-world, you know, this, this, you know, mining dispute, and he's looking into Kirk's... Every, the whole bridge crew's history, basically. So back on the planet... Mace is about to, uh, basically give up the ghost and give the planet to the the Klingons and move on to, uh, greener pastures when, uh, Alicia Ruthwin, a scientist uh, for the Federation, tells him that she has discovered that the planet has dilithium which is sort of the space crude oil of the of, of Kirk's time and, uh mace basically wants to cover it up because he thinks if the way you know if if all of a sudden dilithium's found on this planet that it'll just get torn up in the sake of getting getting all the dilithium and uh it would be really bad for the natives who he's come to love as a matter of fact the barmaid that is kind of his girlfriend is a native girl so uh, as stanton prepares to go to the planet. Um, a Klingon ship shows up right in front of the Enterprise, and it's of course helmed by Koloth because there's only like three Klingons in the whole galaxy. <laughs> and he basically just shows up to mock the Federation negotiator, and Kirk kind of joins in too. So Koloth and and uh, and Kirk sort of have a nice little moment where they basically uh, brush off, um, brush off the. The Stanton, who's kind of a douchebag anyway, even to, even by Klingon standards. Um, so meanwhile, on the planet, the Federation mining operation goes, blows sky high in a
2: kwa-wa-woom. woom da um,
1: <laughs> Yes, and uh, <laughs> so in the next issue, we will learn the fate of Maggie's world. And the next one, Judgment Day, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. (laughs) This is becoming a running theme in these Star Trek comics with the, like, we're going to cover racial issues in them or be sort of like, we're going to use Star Trek as maybe, like, our forum for race and stuff. Well, it ain't working.
2: Because (laughs) A, all right, (laughs) <laughs> yes cuz we're still racist.
1: I have worked with Hispanic people <laughs> in a Mexican restaurant on construction sites. All right, I've known Hispanic all kinds of his, like just just across the border barely speak English, Hispanic people, people who've lived here all their lives and speak per- perfect English. I've never met anybody who when they're when they're talking they do that like just a few—they do the like Sesame Street Spanish words in <laughs> instead of English words. That's totally something that happens in the comics, so that you can know someone's Hispanic without putting an a, an accent in it. Although they do spell out um, Chekhov's accent in this, like phonetically, they they put in all the Chekhovisms into his actual. His actual dialogue. But I've never been like... When, whenever I've been around somebody who's Hispanic... And they talk about their mother in English... They say, my mother. And when they're talking about her in Spanish... They say, mia madre. They're never like... So I was talking to mi, ma, mia madre the other day. And uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. They only do that in movies. And, and, and then on top of it... You know, you've got a native of this planet calling you know call basically calling them a hairy Hispanic or whatever you know and I'm thinking to myself no he's just an earth man right you know how many? you know when you have a foreign planet you know you, all earth men you know all earth men look alike it's not like just like oh look <laughs> you know of all the earthmen we get on our planet we get a hispanic earth man. what they don't know the difference they're not like ooh he has a uh, accent they, no he has an earth accent is what he has you know it's just it's it's just ridiculous you know it's just pointless and there's well, no reason be... for him to be hispanic it's not an issue it's not which is star trek it's like okay we'll be having be uh, Hispanic and not hinge on the story, but there's really no reason. His character doesn't look Hispanic. He doesn't have a Hispanic name. He, You know, he has a... Oh, come he, on, has Maggie a name, he has a Jedi name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know so many Mexican Maggies, or I know so many Mexican people named Mace.
0: <laughs>
1: the only Mace I know is Black <laughs> and is a Jedi. You know what I... You know? <laughs> So, uh, you know, it's just, it's just stupid and pointless. It, it It's just, it's, it's just weird. I was kind of like, Ooh, Len Wheaton wrote this one. So I was sort of looking forward to it, but nope. <laughs> Not that it was horrible, but it was just, eh, you know, there's, there's, a there's, there's a, a few pieces of art in it that I like. I like the the shot of the Klingon ship sort of below the Excelsior and like at a right angle to it but there's just it's it's like these DC comics are sort of using the sort of same thing they even bring up the whole thing with Bear Claw and the Andorian guy you know from a couple issues ago when they were fighting space bears you know and why? You know, it has nothing to do with the story. You know, I guess they're just they're 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 getting you know they're getting rid of the Andorian character. They're just like noting his his leaving, so nobody goes, hey, where's that Andorian guy? I liked him. Oh no, we sent him off on the sturgeon. But it's just weird. That's that that whole like, you know, we're gonna we're gonna tackle racism, but they don't really. They just do it in sort of like a just sort of throw it in way and uh eh, you know what this was so, sort of reminds me of some of the early uh carmen infantino star wars sort of story where you know they 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 it it, it also reminds I me don't of i it, it's the whole story of mace on the on the frontier planet and he's got that sort of you know he's He's smoking a cigar and he's got like, you know, stubble and he's a rough and tumble Wolverine looking kind of guy, you know. Eh, I don't know. It just... <laughs> it, 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 what, what comic was it that we were... Was it one of the, the Star Wars comics we were reading that just sort of had the... Oh no no, you know what? It's coming up in the the next generation episode. There's another character like this. A sort of he's sort of a Han Solo-y character, you know? Right, he's a yeah. tough guy, you know. And eh, it just doesn't it just doesn't work. He's too he's too by the books and then they were like, "Let's just throw a few Spanish words in there and make it interesting because he's Hispanic." So but in, when when I hear his voice, I hear, like, Cheech, you know, literally from Cheech and Chong. I hear just, like, this parody, you know, exaggerated, like, Hey, muchacho. I mean, he actually says, um, I chihuahua, you know, at some point, you know. He says cucaracha, of course. Basically, any, any, he doesn't say abiento Cerrado, but almost any. Spanish word that you learn on Sesame Street, he's going to say it at some point in this comic. You know, and he calls calls all the girls Chiquita. Yes, calls all the girls Chiquita. It reminds me of some of the X-Men stuff where they would have, you know, they would have ethnic characters that always had to say something like that to remind you...
2: do you remember white tiger and spider-man do do not remind remember white tiger he was totally like that where it was obvious that whoever was writing him they were they were trying to be ethnically diverse but it it, by today's standards you look at it and it's just cringeworthy because it's it's precisely what you're talking about what ethnicity was he his hispanic but it's the same thing as this. It's where they just sprinkled it with a couple of, of Spanish words and, and called it a day. And you read it and it's just yeah. embarrassing, you know? Yeah, very much so. You know, it's funny, though. Believe it or not, when, when you and I were talking, when was that? Yesterday. I was only about halfway through this issue and was very much on board with with where you were at and and i i I was literally yeah i was i was halfway through i was up to page 12 and i ended up finishing the issue and believe it or not you know i i started out not liking this at all but somewhere along the line i kind of got pulled into the story and i i'm not sure what it was exactly that that drew me in, but I kind of liked where it started to go. Have you started
1: doing drugs or something or (laughs) something like that? Were you drinking that day? I mean, you said you were feeling a little like maybe something you ate didn't settle right, but that was today, not yesterday. I don't know what the, I don't know what the malfunction is, man.
2: Well, part of it Usually you have pretty good taste. uh, Usually
1: I'm the one who's like,
2: I don't know, it's pretty good. Well, no, I mean, I, I, we'll, we'll see how how things wrap up with because this is right. the first you know, the first part of this story. But, I, you know, I got to the end of this and I was like, oh, this, this could be going somewhere. Um, the art blows in this issue. I'm sorry, but it's just it's atrocious. This is actually uh, my first time reading this issue because by this point I had officially dropped Star Trek. By DC and mostly because I just got sick and tired of the shitty art issue after issue after issue the art just stinks and from this point on I would just be I was very spotty about picking up issues and it really had to be, you know, where I heard good things about it, or it was a particular writer, or it was a particular storyline, but I was pretty much done with picking up the regular issues. And after reading this story arc, I, I feel kind of borne out in that decision, <laughs> if that's not mm-hmm. spoiling ahead too much. Um, Stanton, the ambassador, looks like he's supposed to be somebody we would know, and I just cannot place it. He Yeah, looks, like he's actually, a pair, well, he's got
1: glasses,
2: which is yeah. weird in Star Trek for one. He looks a lot to me like Peter David, but I don't think that's who he's supposed to be. But he does kind of resemble Peter David if if Peter David has a had a pointy goatee. But it's but, like
1: the Peter David of today too. So like, right? Yeah, that's they,
2: true. Yeah. I'm not even sure if Peter David was associated with Star Trek during this time. I don't think so, but I could be completely wrong about that. Again, I don't really think it is Peter David. I'm just trying to give the the listeners a visual on what this guy looks like. But yeah, I
1: th- he, that was my first thought is this guy's supposed to be somebody, but we're probably not in on the joke.
2: Right. Yeah. But he is a total prick. And which is another reason I don't think it's supposed to be Peter David, unless there's some you know Len Wein Tony Isabella thing with Peter David that I'm just not aware of or something. But uh, yeah, I think he is supposed to be somebody, and and as you say, we just we're not getting it. Um, there you have a problem with your issue when the best part of the issue is an advertisement. I mean, this Man of Steel advertisement by John Byrne and Dick Giordano is freaking awesome, and that I literally... don't have any
1: of those on my CVR, oh, okay. so I didn't see them. So I it's... guess I got that's maybe that's why I have a um
2: more of a sour attitude. <laughs> um, this idea of the Klingons and the Federation sharing the planet is this original because this really made me think a lot about Nimbus 3 in Star Trek 5 which hadn't happened yet by this you know by the time of this issue had we ever been exposed to a story like this before where where they were actually I know we've had stories before where the Klingons and the Federation showed up at the same time and then there was going to be a battle over a planet but did we ever see an instance like this where they were actually both down on the planet developing and it there were the some
1: same. sort of rules yeah that like yeah. whoever develops it best wins i you see that's what that's what one of the first things that was just like this it's doesn't seem plausible to me that a planet that has natives that are developed and intelligent and have a culture would be like all right now this planet is for us to divvy up between us and the klingons you know it, right. it would seem that doesn't that doesn't seem very, you know, federation to me. That doesn't seem very um oh uh what do you call it uh oh what's that little thing that they're not supposed to break ever ever <laughs> ever <laughs> in Yeah, exactly. Uh eh, whatever, I'll remember it. I'll remember it eventually. But it, it it you know, it just doesn't seem like the federation would be like let's set up this planet and de- develop it. I thought they were supposed to watch watch it you know is it just because the Klingons are there that we have to develop it first it just it doesn't work out it doesn't seem to fit with it into the whole basic it seems like something Len Ween made up without right. really maybe knowing much about Star Trek it just didn't seem very very accurate to me especially since it's like You know, mining operations and and stuff like that, stuff that would generally, you know, and they do make sure to say, well, the Federation, we're not getting as much out of it, but we're also doing a lot cleaner job than the the Klingons and all that. The sort of environmental message, but it's like the racism. It's just sort of a watered down little thing. You know,
2: Well, plus they don't follow through on it because that was the biggest right. thing that ends up irritating the hell out of me with this story is, as we'll see, the Klingons basically end up winning the day in this one because theirs is the method that's chosen. And the reason that's given here why they don't go with the Federation's plan is it says right here on page 10, it simply takes too long to ex- extract the valuable um, ores. Via the safer method, which is the method that the Federation is using. So basically, these assholes are okay with the Klingons coming in and strip mining their planet. Well, yeah, it's well,
1: hey, listen, if you go to Alaska right now, you can go to these little towns in Alaska to work in the oil refineries there and get paid like, you know, $8,000 an hour to do it. And everybody in the town is rich because, but they're getting their town ripped up. But the for you know, they 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 brought the you know they were like, yeah, bring it in because that I I that's what I'm assuming was happening here is the natives were like, hey, if the Klingons are getting more ore out of here, that's more of a cut for us, and that's right. more you know that's faster our fa- our planet will develop and get us cable TV. So we want the Klingons. We'll we'll take a little bit of pollution because they're not thinking in the long term or whatever. They're taking right. the short term. Pro- that's what I took on it, but I'm thinking to myself, why is the Federation even involved in that, you know? Why is the Federation like, "Hey, we have our our way of developing it." And then it's also intimated that if we if the Federation finds out and also if the Klingons find out that 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 they have dilithium that it's going to be all over for the planet that it'll just be stripped clean and you'd think the Federation would not be the kind of place that would come in and strip a place clean for dilithium crystals even though even though those are what basically run the whole Federation Right. and and in the original Star Trek you did sort of get uh, a feeling that dilithium was sort of like the gold of of the future, you know, of, of like, you know, people could be like, Ooh, dilithium, there's dilithium on that planet. So it would attract, you know, that it, that it was, but at at the same point in a, in a technically in a future without money. Yeah. What's, you know, who's getting, who's going to get rich off the dilithium, you know? (laughs) So it, it, all that stuff is brought up, not, is is hinted at but is not brought up anything that's sort of star trekky like you know i mean that you could have had a half-assed environmental message or whatever but they they brush they start it but then they don't finish finish it and that's sort of been my a running complaint with this whole run of dc is a lot of times is they just sort of color it with the the ideas of of You know, using Star Trek as a platform for social commentary, but not really.
2: Right. they're playing it safe.
1: Yeah, and, well, you know, comics are, especially the big two, are known for playing it safe most of the time. And when they don't play it safe, they make a big deal out of it. You know, a very special episode of Star Trek, you know, (laughs) or or issue of Star Trek or, you know, or Spider-Man or whatever. So, you know, I guess I guess you gotta expect that from this, but I don't know. I I always expect more from Star Trek. Like if 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 a company's doing their Star Trek comic, I expect it to be on the A list. You know what I mean? And it doesn't seem like Star Trek's getting the A list treatment at this point. No, in DC.
2: no, not at all. Well, I kind of wondered what happened to uh, his girl, Mace's girlfriend, Ina. Cause she disappears between pages five and 19. And apparently she went to the uh, space tanning booth because I didn't even realize yes. it was the same friggin' character when she came back on page 19. Cause she went from being a white woman to here. She looks, I don't know what like she a looks Zeltron. like. Yeah, she does very much. So she's very, very red on those, uh, on that page. Now, uh Koloth shows up in this. Which was a moment I actually liked, although I agree with you that it does seem sometimes that there's like three Klingon commanders ever. But I like this because Koloth was played by William Campbell, who played oh. Trelane in the episode that we just talked about. How convenient. And yeah, very, yeah, very much. Although he does not look a thing like no. koloth you know from the original for one thing
1: but that's uh, sort of that's also common of the <laughs> sutton and villa grand
2: art <laughs> yeah very much so but i i found that uh there there's a nice little piece of prediction here where this is koloth with the new look with the with the turtle head look now he he's no longer this you know he doesn't look like he looked in the series as far the as the grease paint the, the species, Klingon. you know, how the species look, not, you know, so not only doesn't he look like the actor, he, he doesn't even look like the same species of Klingon anymore, but we would eventually see Koloth again in Star Trek, played by William Campbell years and years later. Um, Koloth returned on Deep Space Nine, and he was a turtle head Klingon in that. So I found this to be, you know, a nice tie, you know, it's totally unintentional. But it's pretty cool that you know they include it fills him in here. the gap, yeah. Yeah, it does. I, I thought that was kind of neat, which is probably... I'm trying to remember what exactly turned my opinion of this, and now for the life of me, I can't remember why because I know how the story turns out. But at the time, I kind of dug it. I think that might have been part of it, was that I, I liked seeing Koloth come back. You know, I, I thought that was kind of neat. And I was impressed by the fact that, you know, while there was absolutely no forethought or planning in it that it all ties in very nicely to when we actually did get koloth back you know live action years later i thought that was kind of cool um the only other thing i had on this and of course you can't see this but uh on the inside back cover there was a nice uh ad for uh batman year one which we're gonna be covering on comics monthly monday so again thought that was uh a nice little tie in there everything ties nicely into everything else in this uh star trek monthly. so Monday far this month. so, so far yeah. this
1: whole month all the monthly <laughs> mondays are sort of
2: tying together this month yep so we got uh the second part of this story i'll go ahead and whip through my synopsis on this one so we got Star Trek number 32. This was the uh November 1986 issue, original cover price, 75 cents, covered by Eduardo Barreto, who I usually really, really like. I don't dig this cover for the biggest reason is that it doesn't say Star Trek to me. I mean, if if it didn't no. have the words saying Star Trek, you wouldn't know that this was a Star Trek book. It's it's very odd. It's a sniper zeroing in on uh Mace and a, there's a Klingon dude, and uh, I guess it's supposed to be Kirk behind him, and it doesn't really look like Kirk. It just says Judgment Day. Uh, Len Wein, still the writer. Thomas, uh, or excuse me, Tom Sutton, and uh, Ricardo Villagran illustrators. Uh, Augustus Mass, I guess is how you say that name, Letter Michelle Wolfman, colorist. Robert Greenberger, editor. And the story, of course, is Judgment Day. So Kirk surveys the damage on Magellan's world firsthand while Dr. McCoy treats the injured and says that this could have been a lot worse if it had happened during the normal working hours and Kirk has assigned Savick to the job of investigating the explosion but the uh, Federation Ambassador uh, Stanton, he starts throwing around accusations at the Klingons and he makes things even worse until Magellan uh, steps in uh, to quell the situation Savick reports sabotage and I'm like, well, duh (laughs) sabotage sabotage but kirk doesn't believe that it's the klingons that have done it you know after all they're so far it's looking like they're going to be the clear-cut winners in this contest for magellan's world so you know why would they do something stupid and obvious Mm -hmm. to mess that situation up and it's revealed to us the readers that magellan's friend Alyssa is in cahoots with stanton and that she's the one that set off the bomb and i think that this was an incredible Incredibly bad move in this story to let us in on this because after this point, right off at the very beginning, yes, it's all
1: just sort of
2: tying it up, is all it is, really. Yeah, but by the characters, you know, the other characters in the story don't know, so they go through the rest of the paces of a mystery story. Doing the whole who done it, trying to figure it out when we already know, so we're bored for the entire rest of the story because we already know who done it. I, I just really, uh, uh, I don't know what they were going for with that angle. What's worse is that it's never explained why she did this. Presumably, it was to finger the Klingons and incite you know, the the Federation to, to step in and drive them off or something? I guess, but I don't know because they never explain well, it. She was sitting there
1: once with the dilithium crystals literally going, soon my pretties, you'll be mine. So maybe somehow she thought she was gonna get rich off dilithium crystals. Again, no money in the Federation, so I don't get it, you know?
2: I, I mean, how does that work with blowing up her own her own thing, yeah. I mean, if that was the plan, then why not blow up the Klingons installation? Why blow up the Federation's installation? It doesn't make any sense at all.
1: Yeah, they should have just been like, she's crazy, and left it at that. She's a crazy (laughs) girl, you know, and (laughs) and left it at that. That's sort of how she acts. She sort of has that crazy girl sort of.
2: Actually, I haven't noticed that come to think of
0: it. The uh,
1: pigtails. She has pigtails in this ep- issue, too, that make grow- grown women look kind of crazy sometimes. Crazy. Yeah, this is mm-hmm. true.
2: I've always found that crazy. Why do you say that. I've always thought that. Um, so in the meantime, while all this is going on, Commander Uhura receives uh, strange garbled communications on an obsolete Federation frequency and uh, tries to trace the origins. Rap, the rap, boy- rap. <laughs> they go to see Koloth to let him know that they don't suspect his people in this situation. But if the Klingons didn't do it, then who did? Well, Magellan, he thinks he knows. And so he stupidly confronts Alyssa. Uh, um, Why the hell would you tip off the killer that you think, you know, that they're the killer. That just exactly. Exactly. I mean, has this ever worked out well for anybody? Uh, Again, just totally nonsensical move. So, Alyssa, you know, now she knows. So she goes and she gets her buddy uh, Koval, the one-eyed Klingon. She gets him all drunk. And then she literally hauls his ass all the way up onto the rooftops. And she sets him up to take the fall when she guns Magellan down in the street in cold blood with a sniper rifle. But before she can complete, you know, setting the whole scene up and everything, she's actually literally caught in the act via transporter beam by kirk and his people so all of this has something to do with the dilithium but again it's never properly explained and i I just got to a point where i didn't even care what the whole deal was with it oh and uh, magellan he wasn't dead because he was wearing a phaser-proof vest yes that has a big divot in it yeah and stanton is dead Because, you know, he doesn't live by the same rules of intelligence that I do, which is basically never try to disarm the crazy bitch. So the things, you know, they all end with smiles and hugs all around and everything as the Klingons, they win Maggie's world and they decide for whatever reason to play nice and they're going to cut everybody a fair deal. And there's no Reason I could possibly fathom in this story why they cut the deal that they cut with Magellan at the end of the story, but I, I'll get back to that in a minute. So, the, really, the only redeeming quality of this issue, in my opinion, is as the excuse, excuse me, not the enterprise, the Excelsior—rather, as it warps out of orbit, Uhura finally manages to track down that mysterious signal from earlier in the issue, and she plays it for Kirk, and the messages. Repeat, this is the USS Enterprise calling Starbase 6. Come in, Starbase 6, and everybody has the whole, you know, shocked expression thing. (laughs) So they go racing off to find out what is this mysterious call that they're receiving. So next issue, the crew of the Excelsior meets the crew of the Enterprise. And join us as we celebrate Star Trek's 20th anniversary with a story called Vicious Circle. And I promise folks, as much as this story sucked, that story's awesome. (laughs) Really, really, really going to like it because it's a lot of fun. It's a great time travel story where literally the, the Star Trek television crew meets the star trek movie crew and it's a lot of fun it's a really really good issue i was uh, i was actually rereading some of it today and it holds up it's it's a good one um i only have two quick notes on this one literally just two notes um the only part of this i really liked was on page eight scotty says the impossible is what we do best which i thought was a a really really good line i like that a lot. scotty line it is definitely a Scotty line, and um, my my big question, my big note for this one: What could Magellan possibly have offered the Klingons to get them to agree to the conditions that they agree to at the end of this story? It, it's completely stupid. There's no way if these guys won the planet, which again I don't. Even, I thought this planet was named after this asshole because he owns the planet, right? So what? He's giving the planet I don't to the think people he that owns win the agricultural contest or something. I just don't get this I don't. This story, I don't think man. he even owns it. I
1: think he's just sort of like he was the pioneer who was the first one on there and tamed it. So they named it after him. So he's just sort of like he's not. You know how like there's there's a guy in in city in some city and you know he goes in the bar and they call him the mayor of Milwaukee or whatever you know cuz he's right. been around forever that's what i picture him is not it's not really his world he doesn't really own it he's just sort of the first guy there and everybody likes him and he's he's a tough guy that's been holding things together you know right it, his but, his tough his alpha dog personality has made him the the you know, unofficial ruler of it until somebody actually owns it. But I don't think he has any like legal over it.
2: Well, here, here's the impression I got. Here's how the story wraps up. Literally is. you get this last next to last page before the teaser for the next issue. And you've got Kirk Koloth. I don't know who the hell this, I guess it's Dr. McCoy. Um, (laughs) <laughs> M- uh, Magellan and his girlfriend are all standing around outside of this building and, and Magellan is saying well amigos I came through as promise I don't know what he's talking about and he says exactly. I expect you to do the same and Koloth says you drive a hard bargain Magellan but the Federation will be able to purchase half of the di- dilithium mined here at a reasonable price what friggin deal is he talking about yeah. what, what does what Magellan exact- have to offer they won the planet it- Exactly
1: what, is this what guy leverage in him the, nobody has any leverage against the Klingons at this point, and Klingons are not gonna i mean that would be such a weakness move for a Klingon, especially in this point of Klingon federation relations to make that you know, yeah it's just un Klingon these you you know I mean if if they're gonna it, it's just one of those things where it's like fade to a commercial and come back and they're like well I'm glad that was resolved itself you know <laughs> right. and then they just <laughs> yeah. brush it off, <laughs> it's the equivalent of that you know. Meanwhile they've they've made a deal, and if if they had more time and maybe some better writing they could have figured out like something witty, that you know the Klingons are like you know get out of here you know it's this is our planet and then they'd be like well you guys aren't exactly. You know, squeaky clean. Here's, here's this, and oh, you got me. Okay, so you leverage. You'd have to leverage a Klingon into selling the dilithium to the Federation at a, at a fair price, especially since they're enemies at this point. Yeah, it's there's so many just points in the in these two issues where. You know, very basic tenets of Star Trek are completely ignored so mm-hmm. and and character traits of whole races although you know mace sure does look like wolverine on that that page 21 when he's lighting up that cigarette <laughs> jesus christ it's <laughs> yes. like they trace
0: <laughs> and he says and my he, only he...
2: other
1: uh uh-huh. oh sorry he doesn't call anybody bub though and of course what what <laughs> does he say to him when they leave adiós amigo come on it's like ah
0: oh. Oh. Yeehaw, sorry, yeehaw, but...
2: andale, andale. <laughs> I'm sorry, but this this story sucked. It really did. It was bad.
1: Although I do like Robot Bugman on the last page, on the surprised panel where they're all surprised at the, hearing the Enterprise. I like Robot Bugman in the background. I wish he would become a main character. Do you see who I'm talking about? He's like a pantomime robot. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you yeah. see, doesn't he look yeah, like he'd be a fun character? He's like
1: sad robot Andorian or something, sad pantomime robot Andorian. <laughs> Bring that character out into the forefront, Star Trek DC Comics, please.
2: Oh, there's All part right. Well, I think atrocious in yeah. this. Sorry,
1: it really is bad. Don't be sorry. Be careful. <laughs>
2: but i do i i promise that next time it will be better because that uh that that comic that we're going to cover is a, a really solid story plus that's next month and then beyond that and, and i can't guarantee that these will be in successive months be, because we do have uh plans for other special event months and things like that but here here's yes. kind of the loose plans is that Next time around, you know, we'll be covering whatever uh, issue or, excuse me, whatever uh, episode comes up in the uh, random number generator, which we'll do in just a moment. But we'll be covering uh, issue number 33, which is that uh, anniversary issue. Beyond that, we'll cover the next three Star Trek issues, and that will take us to. Star Trek 4: The Voyage Home and I'm sure we'll be making a big deal about that when we finally get to Star Trek 4. We'll figure out uh, what kind of coverage we'll be doing on that, whether we'll do a a commentary or something. We'll we'll make a big deal out of it anyway. I'm looking forward to getting to uh to Star Trek 4 and it has been a long time coming, so we'll 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 make a big production out of it. So that's kind of the the loose plan for Star Trek mm-hmm. Classic Edition for the next couple of months. So loose. Well, I think it's about time to fire
1: up the old Star Trek computer.
2: That works for me. Find
1: out, find out what we got ahead of us. Who knows? It could be something awesome. (laughs) Could be some awesome first or second season. Could be a little piece of third season crap. Could be a crapshoot, great third season. All right, we're spitting out a number. Ooh, this number sounds familiar. Did have we done number thirteen
2: yet? Unlucky
1: we 13, have it's
0: that, a
2: f- that was Conscience of the King. We have done that. All one.
1: right. Let me kick the computer here again. <laughs> 35.
2: Number 35 is.
1: <gasps> second season.
0: <gasps>
2: no. One of my no. favorites. One of my favorites. This oh, is. Oh, for a second, I thought it might have of... been. What? Thought it might have uh, been what? For a
1: second, I thought it might have been a. a, a even more exciting episode go on, go on, don't
2: let me interrupt take, take a guess, take a guess
1: um classic
2: it's a good one Charlie X no that's Just... an early 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 episode oh, this's right, got Janice Brandon right. give you one more one more stab at it. Well, I know it's not
1: the enemy within, or you'd be a lot more excited. I'll give you a—I'll give
2: you a clue. Here's my yes. Please do. Here's my phenomenal acting skills at work. You should be able to totally nail that from this. All right, here we go. Ready?
1: I should be.
0: Let's see.
2: There is no whatever third. I think third planet. Don't you think I know that? Oh you can't get it from that? That was I dead. can't get it from that. The Doomsday machine. <gasps> oh,
1: this is a good one. I haven't seen this one since I was a little kid. This is one of those ones I saw as a little kid and was super intense for me. This mm-hmm. is a favorite of uh,
2: of our old friend Biblio Mike, if I recall. Is it? Ooh, we'll have to see about uh, we'll have to see about inviting Biblio Mike on for this one because I I don't know if it's a favorite of
1: his or if it's just one he refers to a lot. But maybe maybe we can um, maybe we can coax him into uh, coming Dude, up talking a, about it if that's the case. This is a good episode. one. Yeah, it's this is, it's, this it's is a great stuff.
2: episode because it's it, it's got a strong guest star. It's got a strong story. The acting is top notch. The music is top notch the remastered edition has some amazing special amazing.
1: effects and uh about and it's those. got
2: some nice uh some nice sequel you know uh you know threads coming off of it as far as you know elements of it that were used in you know like other uh other thing you know other books and that's things like
1: that's no big surprise though with star trek
2: yeah so th- this is did. a this is a really solid one
1: star trek is the greenest TV show ever because they recycle more than almost any other <laughs> TV show I've ever seen or <laughs> franchise I've ever seen.
2: So the Doomsday Machine. Alright, I'm looking. Yes, a good, good go one and... next month. Oh. yeah.
1: <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Two in a row. We
0: Excellent. got a,
1: uh, actually like having having the Doomsday Machine in and, and Trelane, it's like having your dessert first and then going into a main course. Yep. Getting some so tune in th- next month for some Star Trek steak.
2: I think it has helped that we had a lot of shitty ones in the beginning. I think that's that's definitely helped us out.
1: Yes, that's good to have gotten gotten a lot of those out of the way, getting, <laughs> getting the Spock's brains out of the way. In the, in the well, we'll see all you all you people next month, if indeed all of you are people
2: we'll be sure to come back uh, for the uh, next generation edition that we'll be recording shortly (laughs) in
1: in roughly four minutes from now or so in roughly (laughs) the time it takes for probably both of us to take a leak do you ever find yourself going to amazon.com and uh, buying some record or movie or some stupid thing that Two True Freaks have been talking about so that you can catch up on it or you've been reminded of it or something. Well, now, how about this? Instead of going to Amazon.com, go to twotruefreaks.libsyn.com and follow our link to Amazon.com. When you do that, if you buy something over Amazon, we get a little cut out of it, which is awesome because we love money and it won't cost you a thing
2: did you know you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite two true freaks affiliated shows that's right simply click the paypal link on our website donate any amount at all Tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Visit our website at two com. Two True Freaks is always spelled... T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Libson is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can email Two True Freaks directly at 2 Freaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find 2 True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for 2 True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook, too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook, too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network.
1: You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com,
2: where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell
1: them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new
2: episodes of Two, Two True, True Freaks. Freaks. Two True Freaks has been brought to you today by DeManzo Core of Milan, Italy and by the letters F and U.
0: Malvar, dinner time! Uh, but Mom, I'm playing with my collectibles! Now! All this time we thought he was a powerful super being, yet he was just a child. He's, he's not, not a, a child. child, he's 34!